This audio version of Hearts of Purpose by Gail Grace Nordskog has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by the hosts of the Monstrous Regiment podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to access the rest of this audiobook and many more. Chapter 1 Mary Ann Ambroselli, Executive Director, Ventura County Pregnancy Center. Focus Counseling on Keeping Preborn Babies Alive. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined his ear to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Psalm 40, 1 through 3. Atonement. In a faraway place and a different time, I killed my child, a most heinous crime. With tears on my cheeks, it was too late, I knew, to bring back the child I once slew. You are guilty, Satan said, and deserve to be dead. We now give you torment to pay for your sin. You will never escape because you are branded. Don't try to hide. Your just due is death. You should try suicide. I was beaten daily by Satan's attack. I was paying a debt, so I never fought back. No hope of escaping of this I knew well. I cried out to God from my own self-made hell. Then I met Jesus, and he smiled at my face. He said, I forgive you, child. Come walk in my grace. He said to me, Now the past has been buried. You are free of the guilt for years you have carried. He said to me, Accept, it is a gift that is free. This is atonement and not justice for thee. Life began for me on July thirteenth, 1944, in Long Beach, California. My dad was away fighting in World War II, so for more than two years it was just Mom and me. I met my dad for the first time when he returned from his service in the Navy. There was suddenly a battle between us for attention of my mom. There was suddenly a battle between us for the attention of my mom. My sister Rosalie was born in April 1947 and I was so excited to see her. The day she and mom came home from the hospital is still imprinted on my memory. When dad opened the car door for them to get out, he pushed me aside and told me not to get in the way. Now the battle between Dad and me for the attention of Mom and my sister had begun. Dad was an auto mechanic and a good provider. He adored Mom, but had difficulty demonstrating affection to us kids. He was not there for us emotionally and attempted to guide and manipulate us through what he called constructive criticism and strict rules. In my opinion, there is nothing constructive about criticism. Mom was a stay-at-home wife and mother. She nurtured us with lots of love and gentle discipline. She was very easy to talk to, and she was always there for us no matter what we were going through. My sister Carla was born in January 1952 and became my little charge, which gave me a sense of purpose. She was a delightful child, and I loved her so much. One morning in 1954, as I was helping her to get dressed, she cried out that her neck and shoulder hurt. There was a huge lump. I took her to Mom, and she said she would have to take her to the doctor, but my sister and I would still have to go to school. I was concerned all day and could not wait to get home. When I got home, Carla was not there. The doctors had sent her to the hospital to have exploratory surgery. It turned out she had a very aggressive cancer. This was a very devastating time in our family. My parents had no insurance and Dad, as an auto mechanic, did not make a lot of money. Just before learning Carla was ill, my mom had become pregnant again. Our brother John was born in February 1955. He was a ray of sunshine during a very difficult time. Our family believed in God but did not attend church, nor did we consider ourselves religious. 
A Christian family that lived up the street reached out to offer help and prayers during Carla's illness. Their church started bringing meals and helping with us kids when mom and dad had to take Carla for doctor appointments. Carla passed away on June 8, 1955, which left our family completely heartbroken. I was now 11 years old, and I could not understand why a loving God would take such a beautiful little girl away from us. Our Christian neighbors continued to minister the love of Jesus to us in ways we had never experienced. They shared that God is the source of all comfort and that he would wipe every tear from our eyes. Dad attended a men's dinner with our neighbor at his church. God got hold of Dad's heart that night, and he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. He came home a different person. The very next Sunday, our family started attending church. I enjoyed going to church and hearing the stories about Jesus. God was doing a healing in my parents, but I still had a lot of questions about why my sister had to die, so I had a hard time trusting God completely. In early 1957, Dad was offered a new job in the San Fernando Valley as head auto mechanic. My parents also made the announcement that they were going to have another baby. They sold our home in Long Beach, and we moved to Reseda, California. I was 12 years old and just starting junior high school, and leaving my friends and our church was very difficult. I climbed into my own lonely world and felt that if God really cared, he would not have taken us away from our home to the very hot valley. I also blamed Dad for accepting this new job. Our church in Long Beach had referred us to Reseda First Baptist Church. We became very involved right away. After a while, Dad became a deacon and the high school Sunday school teacher. Mom was the Sunday school secretary for all the classes. I attended all of the youth group events, went to summer and winter camps, memorized lots of scripture, and was even president of the Youth for Christ Club on my high school campus. Although I had a lot of head knowledge, I had not fully surrendered my heart to Jesus. I still had questions, and I carried an emptiness inside I thought needed to be filled by my dad. I witnessed my dad being able to counsel and mentor many of my church friends, but he was never able to communicate with me or to have a close relationship with me. I was quite envious of my friend's relationships with my dad. Another sister, Cheryl, was born in March 1958. She was the exact image of Carla, so I became very attached to her. She was a glimmer of joy in my lonely world. Junior high and high school introduced me to boy-girl relationships, and I decided to get my male attention that way. I dated only guys from church, believing they would treat me with respect. I figured that if I married a nice church boy, then Dad would be happy. It was a shock to have most of the church guys grope me in ways that made me very uncomfortable. I told my mom there didn't seem to be any difference between the boys at school and the boys at church, so I became friendlier with some of the boys at school. In my senior year of high school, I met someone who captured my heart and my attention. He was actually more of a gentleman than most of the church guys I dated. We began dating regularly, which my dad was not happy about because he was not a church boy and he was two years older than me. I justified dating him by telling my parents that he believed in God and that he treated me with respect. After a year of dating and when I turned 18, he began to pressure me to have sex. We started attending fraternity parties and I was introduced to alcohol. Of course, that led to a sexual relationship. At 19 years old, I learned I was pregnant. At first, I was excited, believing we would get married. When I shared the news with him, he told me he had just been accepted into the Officer Training Naval Academy in Pensacola, Florida, and that married guys could not attend the academy. He also told me that even though we had fun together and he cared about me, he did not have plans to marry me. I could not believe this was happening. I asked God if he cared about me. 
Completely devastated, I turned to my parents and the pastor of our church. They encouraged me to consider adoption. My dad made it clear that he was not prepared to support me and this boy's baby. Again, I felt rejected by my dad. After a lot of thought and evaluating what would be best for all involved, I decided to choose an adoption plan. I quit my job, and Dad felt it would be best that I not live at home. He had obligations to uphold at church, and an out-of-wedlock pregnant daughter did not look good. I moved in with my aunt and uncle in Orange County to help take care of my five-year-old twin cousins and do some household chores. I was still asking if God really cared about me. Again, I climbed into my own lonely world and wondered what was wrong with me that my dad rejected me and that my boyfriend would abandon me at a time like this. Mom kept telling me that she and Dad were praying for me and that God did love me. She said I just needed to turn it all over to Jesus and trust what he was doing. I was desperately searching for answers and seeking peace in my life. I decided to look for a church to attend nearby while going through the pregnancy. I found a little Southern Baptist church and on the first Sunday I attended, the pastor called a man up to the stage. He and several elders proceeded to chastise him for being caught playing the piano in a cocktail lounge. He was the church pianist, and they felt he was being a poor witness. They actually withdrew his membership and asked him to leave. I could not believe what I was hearing and witnessing. I left and never went back. At this point, I began questioning God and church. As my pregnancy progressed, I eventually moved in with my grandma. She lived a few blocks from the Long Beach Memorial Hospital where my baby would be born. Grandma was one of the most special people in my life. She was non-judgmental, loving, compassionate, and so comfortable to be with. She owned and ran a dry-cleaning shop that I helped out in while living with her. On January 5th, 1965, while closing down the shop for the day, my water broke, and realizing the time had come, I began to cry. This little person growing inside of me had brought me comfort and a sense of purpose. I had felt safe. Now I knew this baby would soon be born and would be whisked away from my life. I would again have to climb into my own lonely world. On January 5, 1965, at 10.18 p.m., I gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, weighing 8 pounds, 10 ounces. I was told when the baby was born that I would not see him or be able to hold him and that he would be taken to his waiting adoptive parents. I also knew that adoptive parents often did not tell their adopted child that they were adopted, so chances were that he would never know about me. The morning after he was born, a nurse who did not know my baby was being adopted brought him to me and laid him in my arms. Another nurse came in right away and apologized for the mistake, and took him away. To this day I am grateful for that moment. I was able to look at his face and tell him I was doing this because I loved him and wanted him to have a life that a two-parent family could give him. The image of his perfect little face is embedded in my memory. To date, I do not know anything about him or if he knows he was adopted. I continue to pray for him. As I left the hospital with my mom, depression and sadness set in. I struggled with the meaning of life and what to do next. I did not want to go to church. Facing people there would be much too hard. Besides, all that had happened in my life did not reveal to me that God was loving or compassionate, and I was sure that He did not care about me. I spent my days crying a lot. I had six weeks from the day of my baby's birth to change my mind about adoption, which I did consider. Dad said there was no way he would support me and the baby. Since I had no idea what I would do or how to support myself with a baby, I decided that signing of the final adoption papers was the best for all involved. Even though he may never read this, the following poem written for my son has brought me a lot of comfort. Blood Mother Farewell I've carried you beneath my heart and now must let you go. 
There is no final comfort in decision, for I know that you will never remember this, or me as I do you. The years will take you even farther from my reach and view. Now other eyes will cherish you, and other arms embrace, and strangers offer solace for the troubles you will face. Now other tears will fall for you, and other voices sing. Yet this I do, that you may never want for anything. Not even distant echoes of my weeping as we part, the name I name you, or the thunder of my breaking heart. I realized that I needed to get on with my life, so I started looking for a job. Landing a job with Lytton Industries introduced me to a lot of friends with no church or religious background. I was drawn into the secular world of social events and parties. I met a man who swept me off my feet. After dating for a while, we moved in together. It wasn't long before I became pregnant. I also wanted us to get married, but he said he was not ready to make that commitment yet because of his first failed marriage. Our son Greg was born on January 12, 1968, and he became my pride and joy. The relationship between his father and me was difficult, but I hung on to it desperately, hoping we would get married and make it work. I did not want to be rejected again. We did get married in 1970. However, he spent a lot of time hanging out with friends at a local bar and less and less time with his family. About a year later, I found out he was having an affair with a friend of mine. He left Greg and me and moved in with her. We filed for a legal separation, and I put off following through with divorce in hopes that we might be able to reconcile. It was very hard on Greg because his dad chose not to spend time with him or to support us financially. We eventually divorced in 1972. In 1973, my precious grandma passed away, which added to the pain of losses. Since I needed to earn some income, having been involved in singing throughout junior high and high school, I was asked to be in a small singing group that played in lounges and bars. This went on for a year. It involved a lot of traveling, which was difficult with a young son to care for. The leader of this group and I became involved, but I decided it was not something I wanted to pursue. I realized I needed to get a real job to support my son and myself. Because of my typing and shorthand skills, I was able to get hired with a certified public accountant firm as an executive secretary. I enjoyed my job, and many of my co-workers and I became good friends. One of the firm's partners, the son of the owner, began showing an interest in me and we started dating. I fell deeply in love. We had lots of fun together, and he was very good with Greg. We had dated for about two years when I became pregnant. When I shared the news with him, I was completely devastated when he told me not to let anyone know I was pregnant and that my only option was to have an abortion. Having believed that our relationship was to a point of getting married, my world came crashing down around me when he said he had no intention of marrying me. He insisted on an abortion. It all made me feel so used. Again, I climbed into my lonely world and wondered if God really cared. Even though I had not been attending church or living for God, something in my heart said abortion was wrong. I was confused and did not know where to turn. I put it off for several weeks, but I finally made an appointment with Planned Parenthood to get counsel. I was pretty sure I was getting close to 12 weeks, so making a decision soon was necessary. The counselor did a good job of convincing me I would only be terminating a pregnancy and that the procedure was very simple. When I asked her if it was a baby yet, she said it was only a blob of tissue, so I did not need to be concerned. She said I would be able to just get back to my life as normal without any issues. It was no big deal. She brought out that if I didn't follow through, I would probably need to quit my job, which would add to the hardship of being a single mom. I scheduled the appointment immediately. The day of the procedure, my boyfriend went with me. I was hoping he would change his mind, but when they called my name, he got up and said he would be back to pick me up afterwards. My heart was pounding and I felt very sick. They led me to a cubicle and had me change into a hospital gown. 
This overwhelming feeling of guilt, shame, and ugliness came over me, and I could sense something telling me to run out, but I didn't. I let my situation and my circumstances keep me from doing what I really knew was the right thing to do. While sitting in the cubicle, I heard someone crying out, and she was told to be quiet that it was almost over. When it was my turn, and when I got on to the abortion table, I just felt numb. A nurse and the abortionist told me it would be over soon and to just relax. Yeah, sure. I heard the very loud sound of the machine they would use. It was frightening. I felt as though I was falling into a very deep, dark hole. When it was over, the abortionist came up to my ear and told me I was further along than he had thought because it took a lot more time for him to get it out of me. I knew right then and that I had made the wrong decision. The abortion was over, and life according to Planned Parenthood was supposed to get back to normal without any issues. It already did not feel normal. I still had my job at the CPA firm, but life was not the same. I was trying to hold myself together during the day, but when I got off work I drank and tried to escape from my inner pain. I did continue seeing my boyfriend, but now we were both drinking a lot and started smoking marijuana. I just wanted to stop the pain. I was seeing other guys and going with friends to bars. Five months after the abortion, I discovered I was pregnant again. I knew what had to be done, so I made an abortion appointment. I was not even sure whom I was pregnant from. After the second abortion, I felt completely numb. I began to hate myself for the ugly person I had become. I wondered why I could not find a committed relationship. I certainly did not feel loved by God, and I wondered why He would love me. During this time, my mom was there for me, and she would tell me that she and Dad were praying for me. They never tried to meddle in my life, but I do know they loved me and were concerned for me. I fell into a pit of emotional pain, and it began to consume me. I was convinced I was a horrible person. If God was there, He had probably written me off. I was becoming a bad mother to Greg, and all the other relationships were shipwrecked. I was drinking more, dabbling in other drugs, and became obsessed with losing weight. In the summer of 1976, I decided life was not worth living any longer, so I bought a large bottle of Southern Comfort Liquor, what an oxymoron that is, and thought if I got drunk or high enough, I would be able to slip my wrists and just die. While sitting on the floor of my apartment in a drunken stupor, I cried out to God and said, God, if you are there, I need help. I kept hearing my phone ring, but ignored it. Suddenly, my mom came walking through the door. She said she could not sleep and felt a nudge from the Lord to check on me. When I was not answering the phone, she decided to come over. I knew then that she was an angel sent by God. Mom realized she needed to intervene, so she took Greg and me home with her. We stayed there for a few days. My parents offered to pay for counseling, and since I could not afford it, I accepted. Of course they wanted me to see a biblical counselor they knew. On my first appointment, I felt comfortable and safe. It was a very different kind of counseling than I had experienced in the past. I wanted to know how long it would take, and he told me that it would be up to me and God. He gave me a Bible and several passages of Scripture with some questions to answer, as well as some assignments. One of my first assignments was to schedule a meeting with my dad to talk about my feelings of rejection by him. Even at 32 years old, I was fearful of facing him with all that I needed to share. It went better than I anticipated. Dad started with prayer, and then we both shared our feelings. He said that he realized he had not been there for me the way a dad should be, and he was sorry. He asked me to forgive him and stood up and opened his arms wide to give me a big hug. He told me that he loved me more than he could express and that it is never too late to work on our relationship. We decided to make dates once in a while to just talk. That was not only a huge turning point in my relationship with my dad, but also with God. I began to see God's unconditional love and that he saw me as worthy— the walls started to come down, and I began to let God in a little at a time. 
I was still not ready for church, but I was at least looking to God and His Word for guidance. I was accepting the fact that God wanted a relationship with me and that He did care for me. Through all of this, I was thankful that I still had my job at the CPA firm. In 1978, the wife of one of the partners in the firm told me she had a business associate named Mario whom she wanted me to meet. She had told him about me as well and kept after him to get it, give me a call. She had told him about me as well and kept after him to give me a call. Neither of us was actually interested in another relationship at this time in our lives, but she was so relentless in getting him to call me for a date that he finally did it just to get her off his back. The day he called, we talked for a while and even said we could tell her we had met and it didn't work out. We had both been really hurt in relationships and were ready to call it quits with anything new. As we were discussing how we would tell her it did not work out, I felt a twinge of conviction about telling her a lie. He agreed, so we set up a date and then we figured that we could tell her it didn't work out. It was a wonderful date. We went to an elegant restaurant and spent a nice evening in conversation. He was a perfect gentleman and I felt respected. When he took me home, he was the first guy in years who walked me to the door, kissed me on the cheek, and thanked me for a wonderful time. I found myself wondering if he would ever call me again. A couple of days went by and all I could think about was if he would call me again. On the third day, I received a beautiful bouquet of roses at work with a note thanking me for a wonderful evening. Later that day, he called to make sure I received the flowers and asked me on another date. I looked forward to that date with anticipation. Somehow I knew on that second date that he was someone special that I wanted in my life for a long time. Apparently, he felt the same. He met Greg and my family, and I met his two teenage daughters. He had also been getting his life back together with God, and when he had learned that my family were Christians, he was excited. He asked if we could start going to church together, so I agreed. Our relationship began to grow, and he proposed to me three months after our first date. Mom pleaded with us to get married at Reseda First Baptist, so we agreed. Our wedding date was set for May 12, 1979. We tried really hard to wait until our wedding day to be intimate, but on Valentine's Day, the romance and the wine got the best of us. We regretted our choice and asked God to forgive us. About a month and a half before our wedding, I realized I had not had a period yet. I could not believe I was pregnant again out of wedlock. I was almost expecting to hear my fiancé tell me I needed to have an abortion when I shared the news, but instead he said he could not be happier. He was completely against abortion, and he was excited about starting a family together with my son and me. I felt such relief and was so grateful to God for what he was doing in our lives. We had a beautiful formal church wedding and committed before God, family, and friends our devotion and love to one another. It was beyond my comprehension that God would bless me this way. When we returned from our honeymoon, we made the announcement that we were having a baby. Everyone was surprised but delighted. Mario's eldest daughter, Robin, moved in with us, and she and I became very close. We had lots of conversations about faith and Jesus. She decided to accept Jesus into her life. We all attended Reseda First Baptist Church and became quite involved. My love for singing and music directed me to the choir and musicals at the church. Mario and I helped in children's ministry and attended most every church function. We continued to grow through Bible studies and relationships with members. As my pregnancy grew and when I started to feel the baby moving inside, I got an overwhelming feeling of guilt about my abortions. One day I just fell to the floor and wept over what I had done. Here I was, pregnant with a baby I wanted more than anything, but had thrown two of my babies away. I went to God and begged for his forgiveness. I felt such guilt and shame. My husband, mom, and sister knew about my abortions, but I did not want to talk to anyone else about it. I stuffed it inside. It was my big secret. 
On November 15, 1979, our beautiful daughter Jennifer was born. We were a perfect family of husband, wife, son, and baby daughter. Life could not have been better. Greg was thrilled to have a dad in his life and actually asked Mario to adopt him. He took Mario's last name, which made him feel accepted. When Jennifer was six months old, I learned I was pregnant again. I was in shock, but my husband was elated. Our beautiful daughter Christina joined our family on February 13, 1981. She brought such joy to the family. Mario and I kept very busy with the girls being only 15 months apart. This unfortunately left Greg on his own a lot, starving for attention. This unfortunately left Greg on his own a lot, starving for attention. At 13 years old, he started hanging out with some kids that introduced him to marijuana, heavy metal music, and the game of Dungeons and Dragons. His school grades plummeted, and his behavior and attitude at home was becoming very disrespectful. We prayed a lot for him and attempted counseling. We continued to love him unconditionally. It was a very painful time for us. It went on like this for 14 years. At 27 years old, in answer to our prayers, our son finally surrendered his life to Christ. He is now married to a wonderful Christian woman, and they have given us three grandchildren. God is so faithful. He showed me that there is always hope, and he never gives up on anyone. My stepdaughter, Robin, met a wonderful Christian man, and they were married in 1984. They have given us four beautiful grandchildren. My stepdaughter, Julie, married in 1991, and she and her husband have one wonderful son. In 1985, God placed a desire in my husband's heart to plant a church in the Oxnard area. My response was, why? Who would ever move to Oxnard, even on purpose? But the desire grew stronger in his heart. After a year of praying about it, we put our house up for sale at the beginning of June 1986 and sold it in one weekend. We attended Ventura Missionary Church with my sister and her family. My husband met with the pastor to discuss planting a church. They put together a committee to work on all the details. More than a year later, Harbor Missionary Church began on Easter Sunday in Oxnard. We were blessed to watch the church continue to grow. We used our home for many activities and our swimming pool as the baptismal. My husband and I became the lay youth leaders for junior high and high school. God used us to pour love and guidance into the lives of many young people. We were blessed to watch many of them choose to go into full-time ministry. The executive director of the Ventura County, then Crisis Pregnancy Center, was attending our church and had invited us to attend a fundraising banquet. Little did I know how much that banquet would affect my life. A young woman by the name of Gianna Jessen, who had survived being aborted, shared her story at the banquet. Another young woman shared her testimony of healing from her abortion by attending a post-abortion support group Bible study. I wept through all of it. I knew I needed that Bible study. I also felt a tug on my heart to get involved as a volunteer at the pregnancy center. My husband encouraged me to get involved. But the untimely sudden death of my mom from a brain aneurysm was so devastating that it took quite some time for my broken heart to mend. Since mom knew Jesus as her Lord and Savior, I took comfort in knowing we would be together again one day. It took me another two years after mom's death to find the courage to actually follow through with signing up for the pregnancy center volunteer training. I knew mom would be so thrilled to see where I am today. Eventually, I became a volunteer for the pregnancy center. I also committed to attend the post-abortion Bible study, which is one of the best decisions I have ever made. After the study was over, I actually became the post-abortion support group leader. After going through these studies, God gave me the poem that is quoted at the beginning of my story. I am so thankful for his love, mercy, and grace to bring healing and restoration into my life. 
I am so blessed that he can use me to touch the lives of others. In November 1993, my youngest sister Cheryl passed away from cancer at the age of 35. When they discovered her cancer, she also learned she was pregnant with her third child. The doctors encouraged abortion, but she refused. She and her husband made the decision to let our brother and his wife, who could not have children, adopt him. God allowed me to comfort and counsel my sister through that decision. It was a bittersweet time for all of our family. In 1995, Mario and I experienced some rebellion with both of our daughters. We spent a lot of time on our knees for God's intervention. They did not like the church we attended, so we decided to check out other churches. In 2003, God led us to Calvary Chapel in Camarillo. It was a good fit for our family. In 2001, my sister Rose was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mario and I had already just stood by her side through a devastating divorce. She and I had been very close our entire lives, and it was very difficult to watch her go through these trials. Her faith and trust in the Lord through it all was so inspiring. She has now been cancer-free for 15 years. Our daughters were both married in 2004, with their weddings two months apart. Yes, we survived it. Jennifer and Ryan now have two daughters, and Christina and Robert have four sons and two daughters. They all attend Calvary Nexus Church, which is a blessing. God is so faithful. In 1996, the Pregnancy Center hired me as its client services director. I loved counseling young women and helping them to make better choices than I did. Sharing how to have a personal relationship with Jesus and how He can restore their lives is the best information I have the privilege to share with them. In 2001, I became the center's executive director. I have been so blessed to be involved with the Ventura County Pregnancy Center Ministry for 23 years and I am still passionate about it. Today, I am aware that 70% of teens will become sexually active before graduating high school and more than 1 million of them will become pregnant each year. One in five will become pregnant again within one year. Statistics show that 44% will carry and give birth, 14% will miscarry, and 42% will have an abortion. There are approximately 1.3 million abortions nationwide every year, with 25% of those in California. Statistics also show that 58% of women choosing abortion use a method of birth control that failed. Abortion was legalized for a woman's health being in danger for rape and incest and fetal abnormalities, but 95% of abortions are just to end an unplanned pregnancy. Statistics show us that only 3% are actually for the woman's health being in danger, 1% because of rape and incest, and 1% because of fetal abnormalities. Abortion is thought by many to be a reasonable solution to end an unplanned pregnancy. Many of the young women and men we see believe abortion will just erase the pregnancy, but I know that deep inside you will never erase the memory from your mind that you were pregnant. They don't want an unplanned pregnancy to interrupt the plans they have for their future, but they have many confusing emotions competing for center stage. They feel panic, fear, anger, and guilt. They are scared and facing overwhelming pressures. Abortion advocates tell them that they can have an abortion and just continue on with life as usual without any ill effects. They need to know that they may be affected emotionally and or spiritually, and sometimes physically. Many of the women my fellow workers and I see at the pregnancy center who have had an abortion say that they regret their decision and would never do it again. Some of them are in bondage to guilt, regret, shame, depression, and much more. We can then offer the post-abortion support group Bible study. The Ventura County Pregnancy Center is a pro-life, non-profit organization that exists primarily to educate young women and men facing an unplanned pregnancy with factual information about abortion, fetal development, pregnancy, and adoption in order to help the client make an informed decision. We do not harass, intimidate, or judge anyone coming for information or help. We are here to listen and offer compassionate help. 
All services are free of costs and include pregnancy tests, limited obstetric ultrasound through 14 weeks, counseling, and educational classes. The center offers an Earn While You Learn program that clients can sign up for to attend educational and life skills classes to earn baby bucks that they may use to purchase maternity clothes, baby clothes, baby furniture, diapers, wipes, formula, and many other items. It is such a blessing to see the clients becoming the best parents they can be and then be able to purchase many items in our boutique that they normally could not afford in a retail store. I would have liked to have had functional educational information on abortion and fetal development when I was facing my unplanned pregnancies. At least I would have had information to help me make an informed decision. Then I would have really been my choice, knowing all of the facts about all of the options. It is humbling that God would call me to this ministry and allow me to be part of lives being saved and changed. In 2005, my dad was experiencing forgetfulness. We moved him in with my husband and me. After two years, his health declined to a point that it was necessary to move him into an assisted living facility. It was so nice to spend time with Dad before his dementia worsened. He passed away and went to be with the Lord and my mom on October thirtieth, two 2010. Our daughter, Robin, was diagnosed with cancer in 2006. Thankfully, she knew and loved Jesus with all her heart. She shared the way of salvation with most everyone she came into contact with. It was difficult to watch her struggle, but she never lost hope because she knew she would spend eternity with her Lord. She passed away the day after my birthday. A long-time dream for Mario and me was to travel to Israel, so in 2011 we were privileged to travel with our pastor and other church members to walk where Jesus walked. While on that trip, I began to notice my husband having difficulty with conversations and remembering the names of friends. He had been having a problem walking, but it seemed to be getting worse. Upon our return from Israel, my daughter and I took him to the hospital where they discovered he had a mass on his brain. They did surgery the next day and discovered he had stage 4 central nervous system lymphoma and leukemia. His faith never wavered through this year of treatment. He would often quote his favorite scripture, which was this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 That year was one of my most difficult. My husband slipped from this earthly life into the arms of Jesus on January thirtieth, two 2013. He was one of the most wonderful men I have ever known, and certainly the love of my life. He was my most devoted supporter in my work at the Ventura County Pregnancy Center Ministry. I was so blessed for him to be a part of my life for 35 years. After the loss of my husband, I began to question whether or not God wanted me to continue on at the pregnancy center. At the fundraising banquet in March 2013, as I went up on the stage to share, I clearly heard from the Lord that this was exactly where he wanted me to be. My husband had always said, There is no retirement in God's army, and I believe this battlefield is where God has placed me. At the pregnancy center, we are able to help the client sort through questions such as, What would her parents and friends say? How can she finish school? How would she be able to care for a baby? How is her life going to change? Is it a baby yet? Helping her to understand everything about adoption may help her to see that this could be a good option. We are there for her. I could share numerous stories, but I will keep it to just a couple that were significant. First is the story of a young woman who traveled from Guatemala by foot, hitching rides to America for a housekeeping position. She had been raped a few times during that journey, and when she arrived, she learned she was pregnant. She was devastated and ashamed. The woman she was to work for brought her to our center seeking an abortion. After counsel, the client did not want to choose abortion. She was willing to carry and choose adoption. 
However, she was committed to send money to her family in Guatemala, but the woman said she would not be able to work for her if she remained pregnant. We were able to get her into a maternity home, connect her with an adoption agency, and even helped her to send money to her family by getting donations from those willing to help. The maternity home did not have anyone who spoke Spanish, so one of our counselors went several times a week to share the Bible and how much Jesus loved her. She gave birth to a beautiful baby girl and chose a wonderful family to adopt her. She told us that she would be forever grateful for all that we did to help her make a good decision. It was such a joy to see God work through it all. The next story is of a young woman who came with her boyfriend for a pregnancy test, which was positive. She broke down in tears and said she would probably have to have an abortion. She had only been with her boyfriend a short time, and she was worried what her mother would say. She did not know much about abortion, so the procedures and risks and fetal development were shared. Adoption was presented as an option, and she was willing to consider it. We shared how God loved her and her baby, but she said she was not even sure how she felt about God at this point in her life. She made an appointment to come back for an ultrasound. After the ultrasound, she said she was just too overwhelmed and would have to have an abortion. Crying, she left with the ultrasound pictures of her small baby. Five months later, she called and said she wanted to sign up for the Earn While You Learn program. She shared that she had made the abortion appointment, and while on the abortion table, what the counselor at our center had shared and the pictures from the ultrasound flooded her head. She screamed at the abortionist and the nurse to stop, and she got up and ran out the door. She decided to participate in our Earn While You Learn program to learn all she could to be a good parent. She also attended our Bible study, which helped her in her relationship with God. She gave birth to a beautiful baby girl and shared how grateful she was to the Ventura County Pregnancy Center for the part they played in helping her make the best decision of her life. She continued to participate in the program and was able to purchase most of her baby needs from our on-site boutique. Today, she is providing for herself and her daughter, attending church, and has no regret for choosing life for her baby. It was a blessing for all of us to be part of her decision. Amazingly, our center has seen 71,000 births since starting 30 years ago. There are some who still choose abortion after coming to the pregnancy center, but we want them to know we are there for them no matter what their decision. We often see women who are experiencing emotional issues due to a past abortion. We then offer the Healing Hearts Post-Abortion Support Group Bible Study, a study that takes women on an incredible journey of healing and restoration. It offers binding up the brokenhearted to the post-abortive and the hem of his garment for those who have never had an abortion, but are suffering from hurts and trauma. It is beyond my comprehension that God would love me so much to set me free of the bondage and prison I was in from my past choices. It is so humbling to think that he could use me to offer hope to women and men facing unplanned pregnancies and other issues. He has blessed my life in ways I do not deserve. I am so thankful for the 35 years God allowed me to be with the love of my life, Mario. I have been blessed with my wonderful children, Greg, Jennifer, and Christina. I am grateful for my stepdaughters, Robin and Julie. My 16 amazing grandchildren are such a delight and bring me such joy. God's forgiveness of all my sin and the promise of eternal life with Him are the best things that have ever happened to me. I used to believe my story only belonged to me, but when I finally surrendered to Jesus, He showed me that it is really His story to use to minister to others. When I finally let God write the rest of my story, it all came together. I have peace and contentment and unspeakable joy. His for life, Mary Ann Ambrozelli, Executive Director, Ventura County Pregnancy Center. VenturaCPC.org. This chapter has been narrated by Elizabeth Goss.